own West Coast Baptist Association, which means that um, he cares about all the pastors in our association. He goes around and um, support and um, bless them. And uh, Pastor Hamish has uh, blessed our English congregation in particular. Um, having been our interim pastor uh, some time ago and also um, generously uh, give his time in ministering to us uh, in the word of God as the English. <clears throat> I'm actually not chief of anything but I was very kind of you to say that uh, Alfred. I'm sure that most of you have noticed that the world we live in does not seem to be getting any better. Have you noticed that? Uh, we have seen in recent days people so angry or so disillusioned that they murder complete strangers. We have leaders of government that will do anything to stay in power, witness the debacle in Syria. We have other world leaders so fearful of losing control of their own systems that they choose to stand with evil. We pride ourselves as Canadians uh, of being, on being tolerant, and yet I suspect that this tolerance is really just a cover for our own sin or masquerades for our lack of courage in standing up to say that there are some things that are wrong, just plain wrong. Our greed is destroying the earth. Our lust for more and more of everything is destroying everything of beauty and worth. If you listen to the news just for a few moments, you'll only despair. I mean, bad news sells. Things are not in good shape. And I don't think I need to catalog for you this morning the, the bad, the evil, the unjust, the sinful things that are happening in the world today to convince you that our world is in trouble. Am I right? You do believe it, I trust, because the evidence is overwhelming. It's all around us, everywhere you look. Sin in us, as a human race, is in full bloom. And the death it brings with itself is gorging itself on humanity. And yet the answer, the solution to all this pain and death is not unknown. It's not a mystery. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is, and always has been, the solution to our mess on every level. But it is Jesus in you that makes the difference. In days past, Jesus and people made such a difference that whole societies were changed for the good. The police had nothing to do. Can you imagine that? Having a population find Christ and live life according to His ways makes a difference. There are more Christians today than any time in history. So why is the world in such a mess? Why are we not making a difference? 
Why does it seem like we've lost our potency as Christians? Are we like old aspirin that, you know, it's, it's long past the best before date, and so it has not even the power to alleviate just a small bit of pain, a little headache. How is it that Christians have become so powerless to affect changes, positive changes in the societies in which we live? Is the sin in humanity really more powerful than the Jesus in you who's the hope of glory? Who are you that you have so little impact upon your environment? Well, we're Christians. And yes, we're supposed to make a difference, except if you look at Christians in general, uh, today they are, as a group, pretty much like everybody else. Christians today experience divorce rates like those who don't claim to love God or know God at all. The things that Christians value and pursue, they look very similar to the things that the world values and pursues. We spend our money the same way. We holiday the same way. We respond to pain and injustice in the same way. We pray about the same amount. (laughs) But hey, we go to church a whole lot more. We wear the cross as jewelry, but so so do a lot of people who don't follow God. Who are we? You know, perhaps as Christians... Perhaps to be a Christian doesn't mean really much of anything except a slight change in our weekend schedule, like we're here, right? Our Christians will be filling churches all across Vancouver at some point today. Uh, certainly the world does not seem to be getting better because we're present here at church. And I think you would agree that in recent years, North America has become more secular, more godless than ever before. Yet, we're to be the salt of the earth, and we're to be the light of the world. Who are we really? Really? We are Christians. A word so misunderstood that some missionaries, do you know this, that some missionaries no longer call themselves Christians, even though they are of those who belong to Christ. Throughout history, Christians have not always accurately reflected the presence of Christ. So if an Irish man hears that a person is a Christian, you might think, oh, he's a hater of Catholics. In the Arab world, they might remember the Crusades or some other atrocities that Christians committed and think infidel. In Europe, they'll think, Christianity, isn't that that dead and lifeless religion? You know, those big cathedrals that are all empty now? That's a dead thing, right? In the third world, people think, Christians, oh, those rich people, they have lots of wealth. And what do we think here? I think Canadians generally think Christians are those narrow-minded, judgmental, condemning, bigoted kind of people that hate gay people. 
so who are we? Who are you? If you were to define what it means to be a Christian, what would you say? I mean, I suspect uh, you might say that a Christian is a person who believes that Jesus is God's Son. Uh, and who is trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus so that his sins might be forgiven. And when he dies, you'll inherit eternal life. Something like that. You know, your words might be a bit different, but I think you might say that doctrinally, theologically, biblically, that's kind of what it means. And here's what I want to say to you about that definition. I believe it has robbed us of the ability to be Christian in the truest sense of the word. Because this definition, even though it can be technically right, is it, it, it's shaping a reality that is not what it means to be Christian. Because we hold to that and we act like ordinary people. We live like ordinary people. And the world remains unchanged by our Christianity. This is the reason after having been a Christian a long time, after believing the right things about God for a long time, you and I struggle to be like Christ. And instead, we do things contrary to how Jesus might actually act, what he might actually say. I don't want to be this kind of Christian. This is not who God created me to be. It's not the kind of life that Jesus died to bring to us. Interestingly, interestingly, the word Christian only shows up three times in the Bible. The word disciple, though, is found 269 times. As it turns out, it is this word. It is the word disciple that defines who we are. Who am I? I'm a disciple of Jesus. Who are you? You're to be disciples of Jesus. At least we're supposed to be. Let me define disciple for you. Disciples are those people who are learning from Jesus how to live in God's kingdom, are being changed by Jesus, and are actively embracing his mission. Does that describe who you are? We see these elements in Jesus' invitation to some fishermen. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, we read this. That as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Did you see those three elements there? Jesus says, come follow me. That's the learning part. He says, and I will make you. This is the changing part. To become fishers of men. That's the embracing the mission of Jesus part. This is what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. 
you follow him. And in the process of following him, he begins to change you. And as he begins to change you, you embrace his mission. That's what it means. Now I want us to look at these three parts in, in just a little bit more detail. Come follow me. It's what Jesus would ask of his disciples. Disciples follow a teacher or a leader of some kind. You know, you can be a disciple of many things. You can be a disciple of music. You can be a disciple of sports. You can be a disciple of, of you know, new restaurants. Hey, you can be disciples of all kinds of things. You, if you love gardening, then you become a disciple of growing things. And you learn about soil and fertilizer and what bugs are good bugs and what bugs are bad bugs. You, you learn about fertilizers. You learn about pruning. Uh, you may uh, arrange your life so you can listen to Brian Minter on CBC when he talks about gardening. You know? Uh, because you're interested in following and learning everything about gardening. You may speak to the gardener at the Van Dusen Botanical Gardens to learn more. You may speak to a beekeeper because you're interested in, in those flowers getting pollinated and the fruit that's to come. The point is that when you become a disciple, you follow the words, you follow the behaviors and the practices of the discipline in which you are training. And if you do not follow, you do not submit or obey, then you're not a disciple. And other disciples can tell. You know, if you're a disciple of the Vancouver Canucks, you know everything about all the players, their stats, and you come and talk to me, and you know I'm a, I'm a bit of a phony. Like, I, I kind of like the Vancouver Canucks, and I want them to win, but I don't study them, I don't learn about them, I, you know, I don't play hockey, I, I, I'm a phony. Even though I follow, I know nothing. When Jesus uh, asks you to follow, uh, following, it requires some submission, right? And you only submit to those you trust. You're only going to do what Brian Minter says if you actually believe and trust in his gardening competency. And if you've not walked in his garden and seen how beautiful it is, you know, if he doesn't have the kind of reputation that says, this guy is an excellent gardener. Will you go into your garden and start hacking and cutting things down just because he says so? Will you spend lots of money investing in things just because he says so? You won't want to do it if you don't trust him. You won't submit, to, you won't follow his words if you don't trust him. You may think you know a better way. You, you know, he may ask you to do something and say, I don't know. I got a different idea about this. You know, I think I read somewhere and you'll do something opposite. Because you don't trust him. You trust in your own good sense. When Jesus asks you to follow him, he's asking you to recognize and accept who he is and then place yourself under his authority. Now, why would you do such a thing? Why did the first disciples do it? Because they witnessed Jesus do miraculous things. Uh, you know, he helped them catch two boatloads of fish. And you remember Peter, when that happened to him, he fell down and he said, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. They began to understand who Jesus was. 
They saw him heal the sick. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him feed thousands with a little. They saw him raise the dead. Even people would come back and say, no one has spoken like this man. They began to understand who Jesus was. He wasn't a good teacher. He was way more than that. He was the Son of God. And even a centurion, as he watched Jesus say, die, would say of him, surely this man was the Son of God. So they, they came to understand who Jesus was. And so they were able to trust him and to put their lives behind his. They followed him. They began to understand that he was the Messiah. And understanding this truth, they were willing to follow, obey, trust him. You begin to be a disciple when you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and you position yourself behind him. Jesus leads, disciples follow. Jesus said it this way, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. As Jesus has revealed the truth about who he is to you, like countless others before you, like those first disciples, you must decide whether you will follow him or not. And you know, I'm going to say, everybody likes the idea of being saved from their sins. I, I mean, I just like that idea. I, I like being forgiven. You know, when I, when I sin against my wife, there's nothing better than forgiveness from her. You know, it's just great. Like, we like forgiveness. We like to be saved from our sins. And, you know, uh, we like the idea of God blessing us. You know, of God giving us a great life. You know, many like these things and want them without fully recognizing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. It's not Jesus' job to follow us. It's our jobs to follow Him. Some people act like it's Jesus' job to follow them around and fulfill their wishes and bless them. The disciple, though, submits to the leadership and the authority of Jesus because he recognizes who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's who he says he is. He's the Messiah, God's Son, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He demonstrates this truth by living rightly and with such power that he could only be from God. And he comes to us and he says, Come, follow me. So a disciple of Jesus recognizes who Jesus is. He begins to follow him, seeking to learn from him how to live like he does. And in following, the disciple spends as much time as possible with Jesus, absorbing his teaching and putting it into practice. And this leads us to the second part of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said that he would make them to become something. He was intending to change them. The first disciples, these first ones, were fishermen. That's what they did. They took their nets, they got in their boats, they sailed out onto a lake to a place where they figured there'd, there'd, you know, there'd be fish here. And they went about to catch fish. 
But along comes Jesus. He says, come follow me. I will make you into fishers of men. I'm not sure that they exactly knew what he meant, but they left the tools of their trade on the beach and they followed after Jesus. In the days that followed, Jesus shaped their lives with his word, with field exercises and debriefings. Uh, And then later, after his resurrection, with his Holy Spirit, his intention was to change them from ordinary guys with various dysfunctions into men whose character were like his own, who could, in the power of the Spirit, communicate good news of the gospel to others. Listen to what Paul says to the Roman believers. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, that means to be changed, into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is what Jesus intended to do, to catalyze the kinds of change in them that would result in a likeness to himself. Later, when the disciples are jailed for their loyalty to Jesus, they're asked to give an account. They give their account. Uh, Peter finishes. And, and their adversaries, they realize that even though Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men, they could only be astonished, and here's what the Bible says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus has changed these guys somehow. Following Jesus changes a person. Peter is no longer the rash, quick to speak, quick to run away man that he used to be. Following Jesus has changed him. You know you are a disciple. Not just because you're following Jesus, but because you're being changed by him and others see it too. His character is becoming your character. His values are becoming your values. His pains, his joys are becoming your pains and your joys. The bottom line is that if you're a genuine disciple of Jesus, you are being changed by Jesus. But as we saw earlier, being a disciple involves one more thing. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. Jesus is changing his disciples so that they might be fishers of men. Uh, You see this is what Jesus really cares about. Jesus really cares about people. His disciples begin to care about people too. They begin to see people differently. Disciples of Jesus begin to consider how God would have them relate to people in their circle in order that they might meet Jesus and become one of his disciples too. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, says, And he, meaning Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see that in the scripture so clear? That your identity as a disciple of Jesus influences every relationship you have and every environment you enter as you seek to encourage people to be reconciled, to discover the life that can only be found in Jesus, praying that they too will come to be his disciple. As a disciple, your energies are devoted to seeing God's kingdom grow and expand. Your life is to be lived to help people encounter Jesus and become his disciples. So this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You must follow him. You must be changed by him and be on mission with him. Now you know, I've seen this process work in my wife. I'm glad she's not here. She might be a bit nervous. (laughs) But, But let me tell you about this. My wife, Cindy has rheumatoid arthritis and she's had it for like 20 years and it goes up and down but of late the, the pain has been, been very bad so this past March she heard about a doctor that suggested a, a whole plant food diet would bring relief to those who suffer from arthritis, as well as a number of other medical issues such as high blood pressure, coronary disease, uh, diabetes, even cancer. So she began to read his books. She began to follow him. She went to his website and she read all the literature. She read what other guys said about this. And she began to follow him. And when I say that, I mean she began to put into practice this new lifestyle of eating whole plant foods. Basically, we're talking about being a vegan, no meat, no dairy, you know, those kind of things. I know you're all sort of chilled to the bone now, but but that's what we're talking about. So she began to practice this. And and the thing is, she began to feel better. Uh... Her, her pain became less, and she had, she had movement before when she couldn't do this. All of a sudden, she could. And she just felt better altogether. And you know what? Uh, the unintended consequence of this is that her weight changed. She, now, my wife is not a big woman, but she lost 19 pounds. So now she weighs between 96 and 98 pounds. I began to say to her, whoa, sweetheart, like, like you better like, eat something fatty or, <laughs> you know. But, you know, she's stabilized. She eats as much as she wants. She, she goes from 96 to 98 to 96. That's, that's her weight. You know, she's, she's able to fit into the clothes she used to wear when we got married. I was used to say to her, you know, sweetheart, why don't you put on your wedding dress? Oh, no, I could never fit into it. Well, now it's probably a bit bagging on her, you know? And she's enjoying it. Well, you know what? Other people notice this. And they say, well, Cindy, like, well, what's happening to you? And then she just shares what she's experienced by following this new lifestyle. Now, now you know what? Um, so now our friends are starting to adopt this. So, uh, 
you know, my my sister and uh, her husband and her three kids. Now, our three kids aren't really happy about it, but they're doing okay. Uh, my my father-in-law and his wife and uh, my brother-in-law and his wife and some of her friends in Alberta, like, this is starting to spread, like, you know, it's moving. And uh, now now my brother in Singapore, now my, it's really tough for him, but his wife is kind of interested in it. And, you know, so all of a sudden, like, I mean, we've got, like, 15 people who have changed their lifestyle because of Cindy's experience, her witness. And I started thinking about this the other way, and I thought, oh, my goodness, like, if this was a religion, we'd have a church plant. <laughs> See, she became uh, a disciple of Dr. McDougall, John McDougall. She became a McDougallite. And she started to follow him, and her life was changed. And, and, in, and in being changed, she began to share, because she was a witness to the experience of being, uh, living this kind of way. And, and she joined, she embraced the mission of John McDougall, which is to get people healthy without having undergo surgery and, and make the pharma care people rich. It just happened naturally. Now, I want to say to you, as important as health is, it does not rank up there how we live our lives in God's kingdom, nor the eternal destiny of people. It's sad how, though, how Christians... We're way better at influencing others about the kind of smartphone they buy or where to take a holiday or what, to, what diet to try than we are at helping people find Jesus. Now, I'm not sure why, but I suspect it's because we're not good followers of Jesus. And because we're not good followers of Jesus, we're not being changed by Jesus. We're remaining kind of the same. And because we're not being changed by Him, and because we look like everybody else except for our participation in church activities, uh, we have little enthusiasm for the mission of Christ. So I want to say to you this morning, who are you? Are you a Christian? I'm sure most of you here today would say that you are. Some of you may not be, and some of you are wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? If you're a Christian, I would say, why is the world around you, around us, descending ever more into hopelessness and despair? So this morning, here's what I want to say to you. Quit being a Christian. Give it up. Instead, become a disciple of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? As the world knows Christians, as we too sadly lived as Christians, give that up and replace it with being a disciple of Jesus. To be one of his disciples is to learn from him how to live in his Father's world. What needs to change? In order for you to do that. What it means to be a disciple is to be changed by him. You know, what needs to change in your habits of following the Lord Jesus? Or, or what areas are you resisting 
The Holy Spirit's change in your life because you want to do it the way you want to do it. Being a disciple means actively embracing his mission to redeem a lost world. How are you engaged in his mission? As you embrace the life of a disciple, then Christ in you, the hope of glory, will use you to change your environment, your world, one person at a time. What would it mean for you to take up the yoke of his discipleship? And I'll be up front and say, yes, it will cost you. Jesus says as much, as much, but it will cost you far more to refuse. What will you need to leave behind in order to be his disciple? These men, to whom Jesus first gave the call, left their boats and, and, and their fishing paraphernalia, and two of them left their father behind. What about you? Who are you? I pray that you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That you will submit yourself to him and follow hard behind him and allow him to change you so radically that that people will, will say, Who are you? What's happened to you? And you can say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Let me tell you the best thing that's ever happened to me. And in so doing, you'll join Jesus in his mission. Let's pray. Father, your son, your son called people to follow him to be his disciples. Father, I pray that uh, as we hear your Son speak into our lives, that we would be willing to be his disciple, open our eyes to the identity of your Son so that, that who he is so firmly grasps hold of us that we would never let go. Father, help us to order our lives so that that the time we spend with you is time where Jesus is, through his spirit, is affecting the changes that he wants to make so that, God, we just begin to look like your son. And, Father, give us that kind of passion that you have for people. Because that's, that's why you came, is to redeem us, to save us, to to lead us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, your son died that this might all be able to happen. So we pray, Father, even as we remember, as we celebrate the death of our Lord Jesus and, and the life he gives us, that we would be his more fully than ever before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.